Hello and welcome everybody to a new episode of the Advanced Real Estate Talk. It's Aurelia, I'm here with Glenn and Darcy, and today we will be discussing uh, a book that has had a particular impact on our uh, career as real estate investors. And um, Glenn, why don't you get us started? Sure. Um, I don't know, maybe we can even talk about these books in general. Like, I think all three of us are big readers. Um, I read, uh, I do a book club and I read at least one book every month. And when I say read, that's a loose term because I do Audible. So I have a book while I'm driving. I have a book at home as well. Like, so there's there's multiple books. Sometimes I'm working on at a time. Um, they have different purposes, right? Sometimes for the drive. Um, yep. Yeah. And I used to do the... Um, download mp3s of books and do it the old school way on my phone um but uh for some reason my iphone just doesn't like them very well it doesn't play as well as audible so i'm bit the bullet and spent the money <laughs> anyway um so i was torn between two books um the four hour work week and the e-myth revisited and i decided which one was because this supposed to be the most influential books oh yeah are you, we never you never did it in the intro we all three of us came up and we weren't allowed to talk about that purple book right no one's allowed to talk about the purple book so the the purple book is rich dad poor dad which i Absolutely. think yeah. is the most influential book that i yeah. think it, it's touched the most people at anybody if you know <laughs> so yeah. we wanted to veto that one just because you know it's everybody knows that book yeah if you have if you don't if you haven't read it You've got to start there. If you're in this category, you have to have read that. That's just, that's your initiation. You can't get in. You don't get a card unless you read the book. Yeah. So I decided to go with the four-hour work week as my book, even though I was really taunted up with the E-Myth Revisited, which is a very good book as well. Um, I It was one of those books, because that's why I wanted a book that whenever I, what is it, like in the Matrix, the blue pill or the red pill? I think it's the blue pill. And so it's one of those ones that I just was like floored. The first time I read it, and it's a book that is so good that I read it every year. Um, I also read that purple book every year, right? actually probably every two years for the purple book because I've read it so many times. And E Myth, I'm reading it right now for the fourth time, I think, because there's something to take away from books each time that you missed the time before, or just a refresher. Um, people are going, what? Well, what is the four-hour work week? What is it all about? And it's about freeing yourself, and it's about um, Getting yourself, I'll give you sort of examples. Um, so a lot of things, you know, you, you, why do people do these things? Why do people climb the corporate ladder? Why do they invest in stocks like Warren Buffett? Why are they building these businesses? Why do we do it all? It's for money, right? People do this all for money. But what does money create? What is money? Why are we doing this for money? And if you backtrack to the very start, really, what you really want isn't money. It's time, mobility, and options. And so that's what we want the money for. So the way in the book he looks at this is the new rich. He's, he calls themselves the new rich. And the way the new rich looks at it, uh, there are people who have discovered that living like a millionaire doesn't require you to be a millionaire. And what does that mean? What does that mean to everybody? Um, and it's all about the differences between relative income and absolute income. And what the difference really is, is um, if you just put on paper, what is, who makes more money? 30, someone who makes $30,000 a year or someone who makes $150,000 a year. If you look at absolute income, it's obvious the $150,000 a year makes more. But 
if you go into relative income, you go, okay, well, that guy who makes $30,000 a year, he only actually works 10 hours a week. Whereas the guy that makes $150,000 a year works 60 hours a week. And you break that down hourly and someone, the, the $30,000 a year is making a higher wage. I think it's like $15 an hour more than uh, the 60 hour a week, 150K person. Um, and then it's all about location. Where are you sitting? Where is, what is the expense? You want to take your wife out to dinner uh, and you live in New York City to make your $150,000 a year. A nice dinner could cost you $200 to go out. Whereas you have a, you know, you live in, you know, the Midwest states, you know, less, uh, you know, Indonesia, you know, anywhere in the world. Uh, and it could be cost you like $10 to go out for a really nice dinner, right? Um, so there's the location specifics too, right? Um, and where the book goes is how do you get this? How do you do this? And um, a lot of it is about outsourcing and elimination, right? Outsourcing is um, to basically what exactly what it says is to move stuff off of your plate. Uh, and you know, for instance, uh, what is the best value of your time? Is cutting your grass for four hours the most um, best use of your time? It could be if you really enjoy it, but if not, you could hire it out. You know, oh, I paid 40 bucks for that. Could you bank more than 40 bucks doing actually working in your business? Hopefully, right? Um, in that time. So it's about delegation, moving it out. I'm not going to go into all that because that's a lot of the book about how he does it. And then elimination. Um, focusing on the tasks that make the money, right? 80-20 rule, 20% of your um, everything. I can't, how does it, Darcy, <laughs> the 80-20, bring me down. I'm yeah. having like a, a brain fart. Uh, most of the work is, 80% uh, uh, of the work is accomplished by 20% of the work. And the reverse is also true. To get that last 20%, it's going to take you 80% more work to close that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, work smart don't work as hard. Yeah, just... delegate the, the stuff or even like in his book, he fires customers that are cause 80% of his workload, but only provide 20% of the income for the business. So just by cutting it out, he decreases the amount of thing. And basically that's where he goes through in the book and takes a, you know, an 80 hour work week and slowly cut, cuts off tasks, reassigns um, so that he frees himself down to the four hour work week to be free from the business and it's systems and a lot of the stuff we talk about. And if you listen to, I think like the first five podcasts, I think we bring it up in almost every single show, this book. Anyway, that's my summary as fast as I can go. Cause I know this is a, you know, we try to do a 15 minute show. <laughs> so okay, but I could talk about that book for an hour. <laughs> so Darcy, which book did you pick? Wow. Uh, okay. I have nine on my list. I winnowed it down. Okay. okay. All right. Like, like Glenn and Ori, I read a, at least a book a week and I'm in a master's program for, uh, as well. So I'm reading journal. A book a week or a book a month? Book a week. I do, I do like a book or two a month. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's including coursework and also my private reading from my book club, which I'm also in, which is fiction and poetry. And then there's the work related book. So it's a lot of reading. So I could rec recommend, and listen, I got a theology degree, a lit degree and an education degree. I'm committed to reading. I spent tons of time reading. Um, I had three books in a category that are all kind of cover the same thing and they're spread over about 30 years. Um, I would throw these out there. These aren't my book, but I'm throwing them out there because they're in a category that like Rich Dad Poor Dad, you should have read or you should read. Um, the Millionaire Next Door from 1996. That's good. Is in, is in this category. 
It's old, but nothing in it has changed. Uh, the Wealthy Barber from 1991, and there's a revisited version Canadian, David Chilton's massive seller. The first um, ones are better than the revisited. Yes, the early ones are their better work. And when they tried to tweak them with something relevant, they didn't get it any better. The early versions are great. Yeah. They're available in paperback for six bucks on any of your sources. Uh, the new version of that book, which I've been giving out to people, is Morgan Housel's The Psychology of Money. It's, mm. it's a new version of the same thing. It came out in 2019, 2020. Same kind of thing. It's about how you rethink about money. And it's covering some of the same ground as Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but it's not real estate specific. These are books that you just should read. If you're in the business, they're easy readers. They're like 230 pages. You can knock them off in a couple of days. Um, the one I did pick, though, for this course was recommended to me to my wife. And it's the importance of an outlier. So we will, all of us will read books on money, productivity, and real estate. But what we won't read is books on fine dining and hospitality. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is, here's, yeah, here's where the outlier applies. Denny Meyer, in his book, Setting the Table, it's a early 2000s, um, was recommended to my wife uh, from her book club. He is a New York City restaurateur. His family grew up in the hotel trade. He knocked around and scuffled around until he put together a deal for a great restaurant. And he worked as a server and a bar tender and a front of house guy and all this other stuff in the restaurant trade. And when he finally got his act together, he produced four or five of New York's greatest restaurants, the Union, um, Union Grill, uh, the food is served at the Guggenheim. He did an Indian restaurant that lasted about a decade. You know, for a restaurant to last 18 months, means you burn through all your investors' money and then you close. You don't make money till year five. His book talks about management in one of the hardest, the most competitive countries in the world, in the most competitive city in the world, in maybe the most competitive industry, fine dining. If you screw up there, they never come back. They have huge influence and they're not going to spend their discretionary dollars. When Glenn talks about taking your wife out for a fine meal, a good deep meal, we're talking four to 500 US before wine. These kind of restaurants where there's a seven course tasting menu, everything is bespoke, handmade, uh, fresh that morning and assembled on your plate for you. This that kind of level of, of uh, curated foods experience. And what he talks about is managing in that pressure cooker of competition. Um, so he talks about his theory of constant gentle pressure as a CEO, because if you're running a few people, you know, it's not hard for someone who's right like arm's length away from you to grab them and make them do your work or you do their work. Right. Um, but if you're running a restaurant full of an organization or you're running a real estate business in four provinces and you've got 20 people or, and you've got 30 contractors and a bunch of other people, it's hard and not everything is under your thumb and you can't see everything. So you have to have a vision for it and you have to apply constant gentle pressure. You can't fire these people. You can't kill them. That's statute protected. You're not allowed to murder people. So you have to keep them productive, right? And ways to keep them productive. So he allows, through his book, he you know, comes up with three things that, that I have applied. Um, for effective leadership, you have to have a clear vision of what your business is. So he knew he's in the fine dining category and who his customers were. And for him, he had investors, and diners and staff. And he was very clear. I invest in my staff. I love my staff and my staff come first. They're always safe. They're always well-educated. They're always protected. They're always well-directed. Staff come first. Because if you don't have good staff, you won't serve your diners. Your diners come second. And he tells his investors who put up all the money, 100% of his money, you're third in line. 
unless we have a successful restaurant that people love and happy employees, you won't make a dime and this thing will fail. So you're third in line and you put your hands in your pockets until I'm ready to give you money when we got a successful business. Now that's confident. I can't say I would be that arrogant, but so yeah. the first thing is you have to have a clear vision of what you're doing. You have to hold people accountable with to a consistent standard of excellence. Uh, and you have to communicate well-defined set of cultural values. So you have to know what you're doing and how you're going to do them and hold everyone accountable. Seems easy, but wait till you're in that business. It is hard. It is easy to be hard on yourself if you're making one pie, like in the e-myth, and pushing it out to someone. Then you start making 20 pies or 200 or 2,000 pies and see how hard it is to have a consistent vision and product and be good to everybody. It's brutally difficult. It is nearly impossible. So he tells this brief story, which I think I've used often with my employees. Is he's meeting with another restaurateur and he's frustrated. He can never get consistent productivity from people. And this is a central metaphor. And it shows up on the front page of his book of a salt shaker. And while he's talking, he is fanatical about how the table is set, where everything goes on the table, and particularly the salt and pepper shakers, which he purchased for their shape, their size, their efficiency, and everything else. And while he's talking to his mentors in the restaurant trade, the guy is distracting him by playing with the salt shakers and moving them around the table and leaving them there while he's talking. And Denny Meyer describes his frustration and trying to get his point across to his mentor and being distracted by these salt shakers and keep putting them back in the middle. And after about three or four of these activities of pushing the salt shaker back in the center of the table and redressing this table for his setting, the guy said, are you see what I'm doing here? He said, your job is merely to keep pushing the salt shaker back to the center of the table to the right spot constantly. And if you ever get tired of that, your business is over. If you don't like the work, do something else because your job will be, be constant, gentle pressure back to your vision of what you're going to be doing. That was revelatory for me because it's hard to manage people. So my job is constantly apply gentle, compassionate pressure to quality service and our vision. And I got that out of setting the table. These other books, you know, The Millionaire Next Door, The Psychology of Money, The Wealthy Barber will change your thinking about money. You should read Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. It's only 400 years old and it's still relevant. Or Douglas North is uh, Pulitzer winning or um, uh, what's that Swedish prize for excellence. He won it uh, for structure change in economic history. Um, Nobel Prize winning book on economics. You should probably read that because if you're playing in the economics game and you don't understand what's going on at the macro global level, you're going to get chewed up. But that would be my recommendation for readers. Uh, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer. Uh, amazing book. Darcy, you, you just read, like, every time we talk, it, things pop in my head. The salt and pepper shaker move. Um, way back when I was in high school, I read the book, uh, The Art of Manliness. And oh. it, uh, it was just basically like, you know, just regular stuff right but one of the things in that book that stood out to me was like if you're nervous on a date one of the moves was to moving placements like the salt and pepper shaker it it's a psychology psychological thing to it'll make you more uh it make the whole table seem more comfortable by putting it in your place and it's one of those things that they teach you uh like in the in the book to try and be more comfortable on dates and stuff is to move stuff around to to really, re, okay. uh, I don't know if it's your pow a power move to do that, but it, it's one of those things that they, they, I just remembered it. It's one of the things that was recommended in that book. 
Well, see, that's the thing. That's the thing about when you start talking about books and ideas that they connect to other ones and your snapsies start firing and you start recalling, you know, one good book takes down the wormhole to a bunch of great books. Uh, so Ari, what are your great books? Yeah. Great book. Oh, so for me, uh, I picked one that was influential in my career as an investor. Um, I remember working for this foundation and uh, starting to think that I wanted to go into real estate. And uh, the foundation, the office had a little library of uh, real estate books. And I picked one called Real Estate Investing in Canada by Don Campbell, published in yes. 2009. Yeah. And... And I really enjoyed that read. Uh, Don Campbell is really focused on uh, on data, and and he laid for me the foundation of how to um, how to uh, select an area to invest in. That was key, and uh, basically, you know, the essential rules of uh, looking for uh, an area with job growth, since job growth will make will will make for population growth. And then you have the inventory, um, a certain amount of inventory of properties, and then uh, this will create a phenomenon of scarcity. And and basically, in the book, he also explained the different, the four seasons of the real estate cycle, recovery, expansion, hypersupply, and recession. And based on what I was saying earlier about job growth, population growth, after a while, developers will notice that there is a there is a need. You know, there's a lot of supply and demand. There is a need for housing, so they will develop, and then there will be oversupply. There will be too much development, and um, which will uh, have an effect on on prices because of the law of supply and demand, like I was saying. Um, and that's that's one of the books that triggered that um, had a big influence on me and how I would. Uh, uh, invest in the future and I think it's also in this book that um, uh, the author talks about the why and uh, I was at a at a group yesterday and the um, the host was also talking about the the why and the mindset and um, in this book um, real estate investing in Canada Don Campbell suggests the exercise of okay and try to envision yourself in five years how do you want your um, your life to be like and um, and and basically you know what do you want a typical day to look like and um, where are you what are you doing who are you with and um, that's some that's an exercise I did as well that allowed me to project myself and um, and allowed me to do the transition between being an employee at this foundation to becoming um, an entrepreneur investing in, in real estate Oh, that's excellent. We should have mentioned that is the Canadian gold standard. Don Campbell bridges that dis spot between sort of consumer real estate books and academic. He's the bridge between, you know, Adam Smith and Douglas North, the theorists, the economic theorists, um, and talking about supply and demand and trickle down and all this other and real estate, which is very specific and local. Yeah. Um, I have a, my copy of that same book. I'm still looking for him to find and run into him someplace so he can uh, autograph it because he was on the jury selection panel for Canadian real estate wealth awards. When I won that award in 2015 as investor of the year. And I just want him to sign my book. So because listen, who hasn't taken his course? I've got four of his books here with his partner and yeah, he's, he's honestly the best that F4 course. I took that in 2004, five. I took that his course. Um, is the best out there is the gold standard it's an awesome book i'm uh, so, i'm friends with him on facebook and he's supposed to come to my podcast at some point uh, to talk about what he what he's investing in these days 
I know our, our show is not an interview one, but we, maybe we could leverage it to get him to come on. Oh, sweet. If he, actually, if he's listening, he's, he's in mission. He's honestly, he's only about a 40 minute drive from here. And his personal assistant is uh, partners with one of my employees. So, I mean, we're, the, we're two, two spaces away. I could probably find a way to meet him out in his farm, but you know, I'm a little bit bashful that way. I'd kind of, you know, so Don, if you're listening, give me a call in the office and I'll buy the first or second and third round. I owe you. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in and thank you Glenn and Darcy for those insights uh, and uh, those book recommendations. Uh, success people, successful people read a lot. So uh, nothing wrong with uh, reading books and uh, cost uh, maybe a book can cost $20 which is uh, the price of a lunch but uh, the the information you learn the, the mistakes you can avoid uh, are, are totally worth it and the books expand your horizon Absolutely. and um, so yeah we we hope you're gonna uh, enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it if you want questions to be covered during uh, our episodes feel free to email us at advanced reitog at gmail.com it's advanced reitog at gmail.com and it will be a pleasure to discuss the questions you have during the episode and uh, yeah thank you for tuning in and see you all next week all right bye everybody thanks